You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Pamirian Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. In today's episode, I talk with Jess. She is clinical project manager and founded her own company and her purpose is to make things easy and actually also human. And if you want to make it human, you need to take care of all the risks. So stay tuned for this nice discussion with Jess about risk management. When you think about risk, maybe you just think about safety and these kind of things. Or maybe you think about risk as a proportion or the occurrence of an event. And actually, like in statistics, yeah, it can be something positive or something negative. Anything. It is something that deviation from your plan, from your assumptions. And in this episode today, we will talk about the good things that can happen and the bad things that can happen in a clinical trial and how you can mitigate them, exploit them, or what are all the other things you can do with them. So stay tuned. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the amazing video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Head over to the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician, and I'm super happy to talk about very, very important thing today with Jess. Hi, Jess. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. How about yourself? Very good. It's in the middle of the summer here. It's still pretty hot <laughs> in Germany as we recorded. And this topic that we'll talk about today is also, you know, always a hot topic because this is kind of famous kind of words like everything can happen in a clinical trial. And, you know, all kind of different risks can come up. And risks are there for any project. Yeah, even if you run on a project, let's say on some kind of capability improvement or process improvement or these kind of things, we always have these kind of different projects. And it's really good to kind of think about risks beforehand, mitigate them, learn from them, and all these kind of things. And the umbrella term for that is risk management. And so Jess, from her background, has a lot of experience. So, But before I kind of we dive into this topic, Jess, maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit into your background. 
Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Jess Thompson. I am the founder of the Association of Clinical Research Project Managers. I actually started out in a lab many years ago. We won't do the math there because that'll just hurt my feelings. But I started in a lab, moved to a coordinator position, then moved to more of a regulatory position, then into clinical trial management, and then project management. I've worked at sites, I've worked at CROs, and most recently I've worked at sponsors. And across all of that, I kind of saw a very common theme of we always had so much technology, but we did not have the training. And training is really one of those things that we need in this industry more than anything, because we could have all the technology in the world, all the best technology there is. But if people don't know how to actually manage a study or even just some of these smaller topics like risk management or change management, we're kind of setting ourselves up for failure. So that's really the goal behind the Association of Clinical Research Project Managers, but also taking into consideration, I think we all learned through COVID and through the pandemic how important it is to really take care of ourselves as well. So my goal with ACRPM is to really look at project managers as a whole person, not just a productivity engine, and to really break down that horrible idea that there's only one project manager in a clinical trial. Everybody is a project manager because we are all managing very important pieces of the project, which feed into this very, very large project. But we all do utilize project management skills and resources and tools, no matter what your role is, study coordinators, statisticians, CRAs, all, everybody in clinical research is truly a project manager. And that's really kind of the message that I'm trying to get out there just so that we can increase training and resources and make sure that our projects are successful. Completely agree. And the more advanced you get into your career, the more you will need these skills. The projects only will get bigger, more complex, and so on. More people get involved. You not only have, you know, people from your company, but you may have several different vendors and all kinds of different things can happen in this world. And at least since COVID, we also know that a lot of things can happen that we didn't expect. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, right? Who had on their risk management plan that a global pandemic would occur? Because I know I did it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's dive into the topic. Let's start, you know, as a mathematician from the background, I always start with what is the definition of risk management? Sure. So I'm going to not give the super classical definition. I'm going to kind of give what realistically you're using risk management for. So risk management is really an iterative process. So you're going to do this throughout the life cycle of your study. Like Alex said, anything that can happen will happen. And we know that with clinical research. And a quote that I love to use is, failing to plan is planning to fail. And so that was by Ben Franklin. And if we're not taking the time to really plan our projects, which I don't know about you, Alex, but I see that all the time, all the issues of, you know, we're always so busy and trying to get everything done. And we just won't take the time to really sit back and think about how we're actually going to do the study. So risk management really allows that time to you know, identify the risks and then plan accordingly for those risks, but also making sure that the entire team is aware of the risks that are potential and having that input through out the project team. That shouldn't just occur at the sponsor level. That shouldn't just occur at the CRO level. That should really occur at each organization and each role so that these risks can be, can be managed and identified and mitigated prior to them becoming a bigger issue. I love that you say getting everybody on the same page. 
Yeah. It yes. is a communication <laughs> tool, a very, very effective communication tool. Because we all work in kind of different areas, we will have different perceptions and different thoughts about what are risks. Yeah. Well, just kind of in all the programming things, lots of different things can happen. And, you know, the working with a vendor or kind of different things can happen. At the sides, all, you know, says, and everybody can contribute here something. So this is not, you know, the, oh, that's done by project management. Statisticians don't need to worry about it. This is really, if you don't worry about it as a statistician, I would say you're not doing your job. Absolutely. And you'll see by this document that's going to be shared as well. I'm a project manager. I'm not a statistician. So trying to identify risks from the statistician point of view was difficult for me because, again, a lot of times risk management is only done by a subset of the team or even just at a very high level. And then these risks occur that if we had just taken the time earlier on and just had those open communication lines to say, hey, this can be a problem, you know, we could avoid so much cost, so many timeline delays, so much stress if we just had these conversations. And the more I talk about project management, the more I lean into that project management is such a soft skill that it's really just teaching how to communicate with your project team rather than most other things. It's Although, yes, we are going to talk about risk management, but it really talks about how to communicate these risks to the project team to make it understood and to really make that collaborative environment that I feel like we kind of miss in clinical research. You know, it's always very broken up between sponsors, CRO, site, where we all really need to work together to make sure that we are doing these projects effectively and efficiently. Yes, absolutely. As you're just mentioning this document, this document is kind of a blueprint of risk management for statisticians, and you will find it on the homepage of the Effective Statistician on this episode. Um, and on it, you'll also find all the contact details for Jess. So if you want to learn more about it, I can highly encourage you to reach out to her and she can help you in these kind of things. So let's talk go into risk management. The first step is risk identification. So how do we actually do that? Sure. So there's a couple different ways that we can do this. My favorite way is really just kind of tackling it from the beginning of, okay, what is coming to mind that what can go wrong, right? So for this, I, this fake study that I'm kind of talking about, we talk about like slow enrollment, faster enrollment, falsified data, incomplete data, patients that are lost to follow up, like the funding can be decreased. Another way that you can do this is looking at the objectives or the work order that you are given depending upon how you do your contract and your roles and seeing what the expectations are and what is needed from others in order to actually fulfill your role. So this could be, you know, that you're after data lock, you are analyzing the data. I'm sorry, again, not a statistician, so I can't use the words <laughs> you guys <laughs> use. So Alex, you're going to have to put this in, in statistician, statistician language for me. But really just sitting there and thinking through what can occur global pandemic could occur, right? So if a global pandemic occurs, 
what happens then? We may not have our patients. We may not have all the data that we need. We may not make the falsified data could be an issue because we can't get CRAs on site. So it's really just taking time to look at what can happen. Of course, this needs to be done as a group. If you're the only statistician, it's a small project. What I would recommend is really going through this for yourself and then talking to the project manager or your contact with the study, whoever that may be. And if you're the lead, if you do have a team, I would start the list first and then circulate it to your team because then you really want to do this as a team to talk about risk mitigation strategies, contingency plans, the impact, all of that. Because some people might see this as you know, the impact might not be likely because maybe they have some additional information that you don't have, like they've changed inclusion, exclusion criteria or something like that. So it really needs to be done as a team because you'll get the whole picture. And then also because some of your risks will feed into the ClinOps risks, will feed into some of the other risks. So it's just really important to make sure that that open line of communication and collaboration is existing in this phase. Yeah, if you can, one aspect in risk mitigation that I always look into is what are your assumptions? And just kind of by discussing about these assumptions, you can see that there can be vastly different assumptions, yeah, in terms of timelines and things like this. And timelines is just an, one kind of key aspect. I know that many people are measured on timelines and that leads them to send back the timelines. Yes. And then they say, <laughs> well, we'll probably use, need 10 months for that. And in their head, they're thinking, I think six months should be really fine, but I'll say 10 months. So, you know, if I do it in seven, nobody kind of, you know, rips off my head and sends a statistician saying, oh, I have 10 months to do this. Oh, I can first do something else. And then, at month six, someone says, oh, by the way, we'll be done in a week. And it says, what? You said 10 months? I thought <laughs> I still have four months to go. <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I could talk about timelines all day because that is such a important part of all of this. And it's such a big impact and it increases costs and quality and all of that kind of thing. Because, you know, like you said, you could say this timeline. And honestly, we all know CROs are really bad about this, too, whenever they are doing bid defenses and they're not bringing in the study team to say, oh, yeah, we can get all this done in six months. They know, you know, like then the study team gets it and you're like, what in the world are you thinking? We our benchmark is not that. So all of this really feeds into each other, which is why I think it's so important that we really start to discuss that. Again, project managers aren't just at the sponsor level. Statisticians are project managers because what they're working on is a project. So understanding how to evaluate what that timeline is going to look like, how to manage your time accordingly to make sure that, again, maybe enrollment is actually quicker than expected and then the timeline moves up. That is a risk, but that's a positive risk because risk can actually be positive or negative and are things that we need to look at. So say that we do have that risk of the data coming in much quicker, then the timelines would be different and we would need additional resources. We would need to change out resources. Um, but there are options that we can take and put into place on even the positive risks that we identify and how to, you know, either exploit those or accept those or, you know, anything like that to really think about, okay, if this does occur, what do we do then? Not, you know, and we have a plan in place rather than, oh, crap, it occurred. <laughs> what do we do now? 
<laughs> yeah. It's also, you know, one of the things is you show to your upper management that you thought through stuff. So you can show, okay, these are also things that we have considered and planned for. And I think that is the next step. Yeah. It's a risk assessment. Can you talk yes. a little bit about this? Absolutely. So risk assessment is where we start to look at what's the likelihood of the risk occurring and what is the impact of the risk if it does occur. So just to give an example, enrollment slower than expected. This is always a risk. I, I've not seen many studies that are going faster than that, you know what I mean, than what is expected. So the likelihood of occurring in my perspective is high. I feel like those timelines keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller and sponsors want enrollment to occur faster, but sometimes it's not, not even possible. So the likelihood of that is high. And so the impact would then be high. You can use impact scoring or sorry, so risk assessment soar, scoring. So I use a one to 10 scale just to get an idea of, you know, what the impact could be or what the score will be, including the impact and the likelihood. So the impact of occurring would be a 10. The likelihood is a 10. So the score is a 20. And then I usually put in notes. You'll see all this in the document just so that it would actually really be helpful if you bring up the document while we're walking through this today, because we're kind of just going straight through the document. So that way you can see it because that's how I learn. So I like to make sure that others see that as well. So the timelines would be compromised. That's just something, again, whenever you're bringing this to the study team, you've really thought this through. You've really thought about, okay, how does this impact me? But how does this impact the study as a whole? Because again, this is all about collaboration. Some of this might just be the statistician identifying and then the project manager or the project lead, whoever it might be, then creating the scoring and contingency plans. But again, we need to make sure that the study team is involved because you are the experts, you are the SMEs, and we need to make sure that you have that input. And I might not know what the impact is of occurring if there's incomplete data, but you do. Yeah. And I think from kind of the scoring from zero to 10 or from one to 10, I wouldn't kind of think too much about it. It is really a way for you to get a feeling for what is more likely and less likely. Yeah. So it's not so much about whether it's a nine or a 10 or an eight or a nine. It's more kind of in relationship to all the other risks. Is it more likely or less likely? Is it more impactful or less impactful? And so absolutely. Is, yeah. So <clears throat> yes. There... And I should explain that a little bit better too. I apologize. So for low, I use a one or a zero. For medium, I use a five. And for high, I use a 10. I make it as simple as I possibly can. And that's only so that I can show the study team why we need to act on something. So it's not really having to go through like, one, two, three, it's really like, what's the likelihood? It's a low low impact or a high impact. But then just so that we can easily see, because again, a lot of project management is communication skills. Some people are going to see this and think, oh, okay, we have a low and a medium. Eh, we can sit on that. But some others may need to see the score or may need to see it in color um, to then understand the impact or <clears throat> the reason that we are acting on an issue. So you'll see a little bit in, again, risk management, the idea here, you don't have to follow this to a T. It's really just to get you to understand the impact and the reason that this should be a team effort rather than a very small subset of the study team working on these risk management plans. Yep. And here it comes to life what I mean about communication tool. Yeah. It 
as you're putting it into this grid, everybody will weigh in. And some people will say, well, this is low. And some people will say, no, I think this is high. And if there's disagreement, that usually means that there's different experiences, different perceptions. And you can get a common understanding via this tool. So that's why it's really, really nice. And of course, you can also create some kind of scatter plot or something like this, where you kind of see, oh, these are the high risk, high impact ones. These are the low risk, low impact ones. So this is probably what we, you know, just need to have a glance over. You know, the high risk, high impact one, we definitely should have some kind of plan in place. And that is the next step. Risk Absolutely. And I love that you brought in this. <laughs> I feel like statisticians could have so much fun with this <laughs> and understand it on a level that I could never. I'm like, oh, very high level. And you're like scatter plots. And I'm like, oh, I just did a colored grid. <laughs> um, so that's exactly it. The next part is really contingency planning and trying to figure out which of these risks that we're going to take any action on. It is really important to think about when you're doing contingency planning that there are usually additional costs in relation to this. But if the impact and likelihood of occurring are very high and negative, it is probably worth that additional cost. Also, risk tolerance is something that we need to talk about here as well, because like you said, Alex, it's very much one of those things that, okay, somebody might think that this is high, but somebody else might think this is low. But again, that's a risk tolerance situation. That is a conversation that needs to be had. We need to understand why one person might think it's low, one person might think it's high, but your organization or your team might have a higher risk tolerance or they may be very risk averse. So again, this is going to vary based on your study team. This is going to be vary based on your individual. I'm very risk averse. So anything that I can do ahead of time and have plan A, B, C, D, E, <laughs> all of that, I'm going to do it. Even if it's additional time on my part, because I know the value of planning for that. And if the risk occurs, I already have a plan in place. I've already thought through what we're going to do. So again, this is really specific to organizations, to study teams, to individuals, but utilizing communication in this and speaking to the study team as a whole, or at least the leaders in each of the different parts of the study team is essential to really start talking about contingency plans for risks. Yeah. Risk tolerance is another uh, really interesting topic. I've really learned first about it in benefits risk assessments, where I understood, oh, Risk tolerance is something that is very, very individual. Yeah. For example, you know, if you think about side effects, yeah, and the potential benefit from a treatment, very often physicians are more rich risk averse because they are focused on the safety. Mm -hmm. Whereas patients very often tend to be more risk tolerant, actually which is an interesting thing. And so that leads then to very, very different decisions. Yeah. And same is here true. Yeah. As a study team, you might be very risk averse. Your management might be more risk tolerant and say, yeah, that's great, but we don't want to spend more money on it. We just <laughs> absorb the risk. Yeah. And here it's again, it's a communication tool. Yeah. You can show, okay, this is what you could do. Do you want to invest, you know, all the time or money in kind of this 
mitigation plan or don't you want to do it? Absolutely. And that's such a good point. But also, I think that documentation, if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. That is one of the keys in project management. If it's not written down, it does not exist. So bringing these risks up to your management or to the study team and them choosing not to act on those covers you. That makes it known to management that, hey, I brought this up. If something were to occur and they decided to be more risk tolerant than what you were advising, you have that documentation to say, I did bring this up at the beginning of the study and these are the options I presented. But the study team chose to, you know, utilize something else, which is what we'll go into if that leads perfectly into the next section of what our contingency plans are. So as a study team, you really start to think about what your contingency options are based on your risk score, or again, you don't have to use risk score. You can utilize the likelihood and the impact scoring. But then we talk about negative risk contingency options. So we can avoid the risk completely. So that's just eliminating the risk at the beginning. Just get rid of it. I think for this one, I really think about, you know, a really busy schedule of activities. If we, you know, we want patients to be seen every day for seven days, patients don't want to do that if we don't need that data. So we would avoid that. So we could just change the schedule of activities on this one. Again, this is a bigger study mm-hmm. team conversation, but it is one of those things that if you identify it, it it can bring up the conversation. Mitigating a risk would be planning ahead to introduce additional plans to decrease the likelihood or to decrease the impact. So a good one for this one is we could say data is falsified. The study would then use risk-based monitoring to and run regular data checks to look for any trends. Accepting it is just saying, okay, I know that the risk is there, but we can't really do anything about it. We just have to say, if it happens, we'll deal with it then. Um, transferring the risk. <laughs> so I This one's a little bit harder, I think, in clinical research, but I always use vacations as an example for this. So say I book a vacation, it costs me a lot of money. Instead of me taking the risk of losing that money if something happened, I buy travel insurance. I'm transferring that risk to somebody else. But again, not all risks are negative. So there's positive risk contingency options as well. So if we think that maybe enrollment is going to be faster and we really want to work with that, we want to complete enrollment quicker, we would exploit it. So we would increase the likelihood of that risk occurring. Accept it. Again, we just understand that the risk is there and we deal with it if the risk occurs. We could enhance it. So that is increasing the impact of the risk. So say, you know, risk, the enrollment's faster and we get to get increase the timeline, speed up the timeline. So that would be really enhancing. Um, And you can enhance and exploit at the same time. It just really depends, again, what your risk what your risk mitigation plans are, what your risk tolerance is, and then, or sharing. You can share a positive risk. So this could be something like, if we enroll faster, each site gets a bonus or something like that. I'm not a contract person either, so please don't use that for anything. (laughs) But just to say like, okay, if we get this done quicker, you benefit as well. So we kind of go through in the document, you'll see how some options for risk contingency planning and what the actions are and what the contingency plans could look like. Again, this is really just a communication tool. This is something that you're talking about in a team meeting. You're thinking through, what are we going to do if enrollment's slow? What are we going to do if enrollment's fast? What are we going to do if the timeline for data entry is not met? Because again, if we're talking about it early and planning for this, it makes the risk less likely to occur because we have thoughts. And if the risk does occur, we have a plan in place to really 
help fix that risk or exploit it or whatever we need to do, depending upon the risk. Yeah. And this is, you know, not just an operational thing. I was just thinking about, I was once working on a phase three study and enrollment was really slow, really slow. Yeah. And we learned that was because of one in exclusion criteria. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Was the, yeah, we changed, we changed it. Yeah. It had a dramatic effect on everything. And that's a perfect example of the, how risk management is iterative. This is something you're going to do throughout the life cycle of the study. It's not just going to be at the beginning when you're planning. You're going to have to watch these risks, which, Alex, this is so great. You just keep leading me to the next section, which is so fantastic. It's like we <laughs> rehearsed it, but we didn't. The next part is risk reporting so or status reporting. So this is where you're really looking at the status of those risks. So like you just said, we noticed that enrollment's going slower. We need to take action on it. So we escalate that to the study team or we escalate it and talk about it in our next team meeting, whatever it is. So then we think about, okay, what is that? What was that contingency plan that we said we were going to do if the risk occurs? And then we start to activate the contingency plan. So we've already thought through what's going to happen if this hap- if this occurs. So now we have the plan in place that change management is going to be so much easier because the team is already aware of what the change would be if the risk occurred. Change management can be an entire section in itself because change management is so hard because people typically don't like change. We like to do things the way that something says. <laughs> and oh my goodness, it usually means an amendment for a protocol. And my goodness, none of us want to deal with that, right? So if we already include these things in the protocol, like that we're doing these d- different, we're adding in this vendor or whatever it might be, we're going to take these measures, that's going to make your change management process so much easier. And it's going to be able to allow you to pivot and um, take action as needed rather than having to go through all of this, you know, all these meetings and all of these approvals. You've already done this. You can just keep moving forward. Yeah, it speeds up things so much. Yeah. The contingency planning, yeah, it's risk identification is really a tool to front load stuff. Yeah. And as we all know, if you front load, that's usually a good investment. We do front loading all the time when it comes to doing analysis. Nobody starts with, you know, analyzing data once the database log is there. Said this, you know, decades ago, we did this maybe, but not today anymore. And so this is also, it's in the same way front loading. Yeah. And as you're planning for all kind of data errors to occur, you also need to plan for all these other things that, that can have an impact on your study outcome in terms of quality, speed, uh, money, these all these kind of different things. Absolutely, 100%. And then finally, thinking about this in a lessons learned perspective. Most studies are very similar. Our roles are very similar. So a lot of our risks are going to be the same on one study, they may change a little bit based on, you know, therapeutic area or study phase, something like that, but really making sure that you utilize lessons learned. This is something that I think that we have so much opportunity to really exploit and develop in clinical research, because in my experience, we don't really capture lessons learned in a way that really benefits other study teams or even benefits our study teams as we move forward. So really capturing those lessons learned to just sit there and think, what was the outcome? What did I do if there was an action? So that's kind of what you do with this. It's 
Again, it's a little different than the status reporting one, but what you're doing is thinking through, okay, did this occur? And then maybe for your next study, you realize that, oh, you thought that this risk was less likely to occur, and then it occurred. And it really has to shift your mindset so that you prepare for your next study in a different way. And then that way you can bring that experience to your other studies, to your other projects. But again, lessons learned is so important and so valuable. And I think that this is an area that we really, really, really need to take advantage of in clinical research, because right now I don't feel like we do. And then, of course, lessons learned should be a study team event, should be a conversation. I know most people, as soon as we get done with the study, we're like, oh, thank goodness. I don't want to see that study number ever again. But having that last conversation, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? What can we learn from this? It's as simple as that. If you are the study, if you're the leader in this, you can always start it out with making the risk, sharing that risk chart, everything that we've already done. And you already have all this listed because we've already talked about it the whole study long. So you've been already identifying the risks as they occur. We've been talking about the action plans. We've been talking about the outcome. So again, as we're planning ahead, we are preparing for the future of the study, but also preparing for future studies as well and really setting ourselves up for success. And this shouldn't be a finger pointing exercise. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yes. Yeah. That is such a good point because this is a team effort. This is never, you know, whenever something wrong happens on a study, very, very rarely is it one person to blame. It is a team effort yeah. for sure. Yeah. And of course, as we discussed earlier, there's a positive and the negative ones. Yeah. So, Feel free to celebrate a couple of things yeah, that you actually achieved or risks that you identified and very well managed these kind of things. So it's not about, not all about all the bad stuff, also about the good stuff. Yeah, um, exactly. Yes. And that's such a good point. I mean, taking this into like the conversation being that really end of study celebration because you made it. Even if there were risks, even if things occurred, you made it. You're done with this study, right? So there's not any reason that you should be looking at this from a negative perspective. This is a celebratory learning activity because we only learn by, you know, potentially messing things up. That's the best way to learn. <laughs> and I think that it's really a good time to just say, okay, we did this correctly. We didn't do this correctly. We identified this risk at the beginning, but we didn't identify this one because again, you want to keep adding risks as they develop or as you identify them. And again, it's not a finger pointing exercise. It is not a anything that should be bringing down morale, anything like that. It is really just a learning opportunity to take into consideration what went well, what did it, and what you can change for your next studies. There's a famous quote by my most favorite sports person, that's Michael Jordan, talked about <laughs> how often he lost a game, how often he missed a shot, and how often he was given the, you know, the game-winning shot, and he failed. And then he concludes, and that's how I succeeded. Yeah? Yes. Failing over and over and over again. You actually can learn much more from failure than from success. Absolutely. And I feel like everybody, if you, most successful people, that is exactly what they'll say, especially if they're very self-aware. They'll say that in my failures, I learned the most. And yeah, again, this is, not just a one-person situation. This is a study team 
activity, exercise. And it really just helps because without doing this, we are at risk of continuing to do the things that we did incorrectly the first time. So take 30 minutes, take an hour and do a lessons learned call and just really think through what went well, what didn't go well. And, but celebrate. I Any opportunities to celebrate, I think that you need to take them. Use this as a celebratory call. Yep. You can even, with some of this, you can have a risk owner who's looking at the risks and then they, that way they own it because studies are so large. So this, again, this is kind of like an overview of risk management, but there are so many other things that you can kind of dive into, especially if you are a project manager and doing more of the higher level project management rather than just very focused on your your role in the study. Again, those roles that are very specific are still utilizing project management activities, but there are options if you need to, you know, incorporate all the risks of the study and having different risk owners and that kind of thing as well, which again, my contact information is here and I'm happy to discuss that further. Thanks so much. That was an awesome episode. And we walked through all the different steps in terms of risk management from identification, assessment, contingency planning, going through the different contingency options, looking into status reporting, and of course, doing a lesson learned. And so thanks so much, Jess. For your final thoughts, what are kind of is the one key thing that the listener should take away from this episode? I'm going to go with if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. And I think that that is because risk management planning, sometimes when things get heated, fingers get pointed. And I think that if you just take the time to really identify your risks in the beginning and present those to your study team, present those to your management, whatever it might be, you're really able to kind of cover yourself if the risks do occur and the, the individuals chose not to act on those risks. Thanks so much. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me today. This was wonderful to chat with you. Don't forget to download the Word document that we have associated with this episode that just put together. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and her team at VVS for help with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.